0: This is the Media Week Industry Podcast from the people at mediaweek.com.au. Welcome to a new Media Week podcast. Going to be talking TV today. Joining Media Week again is Andrew Mercado. Welcome back, Andrew, for the first time this year. Hi, James. Exciting to be back. Yeah. Now, we've got two special guests today. We've got Eric Thompson, who's in the new ABC series, Aftertaste, and we've got that series co-creator, Matt Bate. Welcome to both of you.
1: Hi James, nice. how are you?
0: Now Matt and Eric, both sort of South Australia based. Is, how did you two come together and give us a little bit of background on uh, on um, Aftertaste?
2: Go, Matt. <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> Eric, Eric actually, um, I, the way we, the way I came to it was that I uh, Beck Summerton, who's the producer of the series Thrust, was on a phone call. Thrust. A piece of paper into my hand and said, "Read this and tell me what you think." And it was um, it was called something else at that point. It was called Yes Chef by a writer called Julie Defina, and it just made me absolutely giggle and laugh. It was just so brilliantly written and really witty. And I grew up in kitchens, and my you know my 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 parents are cooks, my brothers are cook, so I just kind of it just I it. Said something to me. I, th- I thought it really kind of spoke to the zeitgeist. And then we met Eric. Eric knocked on our door and said he was looking for a production company to maybe partner with, and, and sort of came and and we had a chat and we we seemed to just get along quite well. And he he chose us. I guess that's how how it worked. You, you go from there, Eric. You, you tell the yeah,
1: yeah, pr- No, yeah, pretty much. Um, basically, I I got sent this uh, same document. A few weeks before, and uh, I s- had the same response. Thought it was beautifully written, very funny. A real, it, it absolutely jammed its foot in the door of of my interest. And I uh, um, met with Julie. We we'd actually had a chat to the network before we went to Closer. They had the same response. Then we went because we wanted to shoot in South Australia. We went and spoke to I went and spoke to Matt and Re- Rebecca at Closer. And, uh, yeah, just got a great, a great vibe. Didn't speak to anybody else. Uh, just decided that they were the people to do this job, and it was a, a great combination, and we took it from there. And the, the original document um, is very different from the where the shows uh, ended up, but it was a great example of a beautifully executed pitch document to really pique people's interest, and then we, we took it from there and developed it further.
0: Andrew, the... Uh... Yeah. Uh, tell me about the South Australia connection, and have you worked much with South Australia Productions before, Aaron? Uh
1: No. I mean, I've done. I, I had a little bit of. I had a bit of a role in uh, in Storm Boy and and the Boys Are Back a few times when I've been here, and I've got got productions. I've been I've got roles in productions here, but uh, no, it was very much. Um, I'd, I'd said to my agent who's also Julie Defina's agent, would, did they have any writers that that you know would have something that maybe I could do uh and that I could do in South Australia and um because I wanted to work at home. And uh this arrived and originally it was set in Hobart. Uh that changed very quickly because I I, <laughs> I just said to Julie, I went, Do you mind if we set this in Adelaide? She goes, No. And that was as simple as that. She didn't argue the point, didn't matter. And it was a perfect uh it's the, it's the perfect place to make it, um, and so, it it as it turns out, you know, jump forward two years. If we had been making it in Hobart, it wouldn't have been made because of COVID. So we were very lucky that, at that dis- that that minute, that decision was made, and um, yeah, it was just nice to, to yeah, just to get to know the very vibrant kind of, It's I suppose, for lack of a better way of describing a very kind of vibrant indie um, industry down here at the moment, and uh, showing a huge amount of potential, Um, and and it's very exciting to be part of at this stage.
3: Eric, how different is it to be a producer on Aftertaste? Because you are executive producer of 800 Words, so, you know, is there more responsibility being the producer?
1: Well, you know, fortunately, I think, uh, you know, my... We complemented each other, I think, really well um, in terms of uh, Rebecca and Matt have been working together. They're, I think they were at film school together, so they've known each other for a long period of time, and their skill set complements each other. Rebecca is kind of the the overseer; she's the one who does the the um, network liaisons and uh, the funding body liaisons, and and is uh, kind of holds the whole thing together as well as having creative input. Matt. Uh, comes from a background pre- predominantly of, um, of documentary filmmaking, and he's an absolute whiz, particularly in post-production. He's really taken the work that Jonathan brother the director, pulled together and, uh, you know, brought a lot of his knowledge in the post-production area to the project. For myself um, to kind of come on board at the very beginning and have that uh, that instinctual feel that, you know what we've got is and and following it through all the way through the the scripting process um and kind of just stepping back slightly and, and not i i wasn't you know in the production office um doing all that kind of stuff that was very much rebecca and matt's place but um to kind of hold the project from the beginning to the end and come in as a outside eye sometimes and just um but you know it was from my perspective i think getting the right team on board was the at, at the outset was the, the absolute um, secret and, and, uh, and we got that with Matt and Rebecca. Um, and yeah, so yeah, it's, it's just lovely to, uh, and you know, it's been a bit of a roller coaster, certainly with Chuck and COVID in there as well, and really having to try and find what the show was. As I mentioned before, it wasn't the original thing that we, we started making it, it, it morphed into something else. And, that, and maybe Matt can tell you a little bit more about that creative process.
3: Well Matt you mentioned that this is of the zeitgeist and I've watched four episodes now and I absolutely agree with you and and when you talk about how many years you took from getting the first idea to now it it
2: is it's like
3: absolutely right now everything in there is just so topical in the
2: show I loved it well me too happened while we were developing it I mean and that was that was the pivot point was that we couldn't um write anymore without acknowledging that you know like we really did kind of report from the front line it was like we can't um yeah what we we have to kind of acknowledge this and actually it's it's it plays into what was already kind of interesting in the story anyway about the kind of meeting of the you know the young and the old and and, and these sort of new worlds so yeah we actually kind of re-pitched it to ABC we we rewrote a pitch document that was very much about those themes about me too, and and they loved it. So we that really did kind of you know completely change the, the scripts. You know, with that in mind, that was that that was our focus. Yeah,
0: I I'd like to hear from you both about the the character of East and West, which I, I like the little pun there too. The um, tell me, did it did the original um. What the original character was like. I mean, he's a pretty cranky bastard. Did, did that develop much? And and how much did um did Eric bring to the of the cranky bastard? Did Eric bring to it? <laughs> and is this the is this the
3: angriest person you've ever played, Eric? Like <laughs> man, he's just full of right?
2: <laughs> yeah. It's it's so pathetic. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny once we once we. Um, <laughs> once we had that theme, like just further to what I was just saying about the, the kind of me too movement that it probably made him worse in a way. We had to make him into a real bastard, you know, like that was, that was the point was like, how far, you know, how far was, is Diana willing to kind of go in order to, you know, further her own ends. And that's the tightrope that that character walks in a way is. And that's what we found really interesting was like, what is she going to allow herself to get into how far, you know, how much of the Kool-Aid will she drink, you know, before? <laughs> mm. So we, we kind of made him into, you know, we needed to push it in order to push her into these, to make these decisions or not, you know. Because I, th- I think it's, it is that thing of in order for the show to work,
1: and that's I think the most important thing, uh, Easton had to be that man. And and as Matt said, you know, that it, it's kind of where, where somebody's... Su- how far can someone walk up to that line with their ambition uh, and are prepared to actually step across that line to get what they want. And we wanted to explore particularly, you know, as, as we've, as we've mentioned the whole Weinstein kind of situation where although Easton's no Harvey Weinstein, it is, it is all about power and 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 taking advantage of people who, who really want something. And, you know, as Matt said, how how much Kool-Aid are they prepared to drink?
3: The other thing that's really now about it is the casting. You know, this, this colorblind casting you've got in there with Wayne Blair and Remy High and, you know, this, this very multicultural uh, cast, but it's, you know, it's just, it just works so naturally and it, and it actually makes the show so much more interesting to watch compared to what we've been watching for years and years and years.
2: Yeah, oh, yeah, I that, think that's part of the zeitgeist, isn't it? I mean, it's it mm. sort of goes without saying now that the, the cast has to be and should be diverse. It should represent, you know, uh, our, our our society now. Absolutely. And it was such a joy to, you know, have a, a pick of these incredible, incredible actors, you know, getting Remy over and, and you know, it's just amazing. And Wayne, one of the funniest people I've ever met, honestly. He is <laughs> absolutely brilliant. Mm. I'd never met him before and I just, Absolutely, I think we all just fell in love with him. He's he's such an amazing actor, and just the things he was one of those actors that I just where he would just try anything, you know, and just throw stuff in. I love that. I think it's amazing.
0: Tell us about is it um, Natalie Abbott, who's um, a relative newcomer, I think. Yeah, given a quite a big role. Talk to us a bit about that.
2: I'd be interested to hear what you guys think. Cause I mean, we, we are in love with her I and mean, we, that was a crucial, obviously we had Eric from the beginning. So we, 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 you know, we, we, we knew we had, you know, it's amazing kind of actor. And then to, to find Diana, this crucial role to play to play against and with Easton and Eric um, it was, you know, it was a real nightmare. It was to try and find that person. We went, we saw a lot of tapes from a lot of people and um yeah, and then, well, actually we actually, you know, she was not our first choice. And then it wasn't until we went back and we gave her notes, actually, because um, she was in our sort of top five or so. And we, t- we talked to her a bit more about the character and she came back and delivered this, and inter- reinterpreted the character through these notes and just absolutely kind of just appeared as Diana. And we, we knew we'd found her. And she got even better, I think, Eric. I mean, I, you tell me, you played alongside her. But for me... She just had never worked in film before and walked in like an absolute veteran. Like, honestly, hadn't you know, was incredible. It was weird. Like, she's mm. truly a natural. I hope you guys liked her as much as, as oh, I do and we do. It.
3: She owned it. And there's there's a couple of times where she's made me laugh out loud, you know, especially when she owned you, Eric. Like, you know, she just comes at you a couple of times. She, she plays nice, but oh, when she comes for you, holy hell. yeah she's so right for that role.
1: Oh that's yeah. And, and, and I think I mean as, as we were develop as, as the Diana character sort of came up in the, and it became an Eastern Diana kind of um, leading the cast, uh, I think we all probably got nervous realizing that we, we, we were going to have to find this actor. We wanted someone who, who was the character, who was the person, but because it's such a big role. We needed somebody also who also had skills and craft uh, to get that combination. And as as Matt said, especially because Natalie comes from a stage, a musical theatre background, yeah. uh, but had the insight to when she was given the note to remember that she's not on a stage; it's not on a big wide shot. You know, just just keep on, and she just absorbed all those notes and just it 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 just condensed into a, a beautiful, natural, very very personalised character that. Um, yeah, that we all love, and uh, yeah, she, like you said, and she's the, and she's the most gorgeous person to work with as well. So that all makes it uh, make just a cherry on the cake, really.
3: It goes without saying that Rachel Griffiths is amazing in her role in it as well. You think that this is going to help you? This is the show to me that I think. You could sell internationally, all over the world, and and you've got a, a star attraction name there with Rachel. I'm sure you didn't cast her for that reason, but surely Matt, that's going to help you in terms of because this is a show that could easily travel around the world and be appreciated on you know a Netflix or something like that.
2: Oh, I look. I mean, obviously, I, we 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 make it's a product at the end of the day, isn't it? It's it's obviously a, it's something that we need and we want to sell, and and we want to go to second series, and we'll only go to second series. If it sells, so yeah. I mean, I hope that the food angle is another sort of uh, selling point. I think that we all—what I loved in the original idea, as I say, was that I think we're all—we've all become foodies in in, the, in our lifetime. That horrible word, but I'm going to use it. But um, you know, we're we're all obsessed by food, and we understand the tropes of the celebrity chef probably better than ever before. You know, that lifestyle television is is huge now, so. I, I felt like it was the right time. I'd never hadn't seen too many chefs, celebrity chefs portrayed on television weirdly. I can't think of too many, but to really kind of skewer that kind of those tropes was was, you know, I think we we kind of captured a bit of a zeitgeist there. but and of course, Rachel's name and Eric's name, you know the, these are these are obviously major selling points. so and she's brilliant, absolutely brilliant. I really love that character of hers, Margot. Uh, sort of based on a couple of the winemakers in Adelaide, the natural winemakers here. We've got a bit of a scene here of natural winemakers, um, but she's obviously she's brilliant, absolutely brilliant. The um,
0: yeah. the 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 form itself is not a lot of sort of that. Can I call it a sitcom? Is it a sitcom? It's,
2: it's definitely not a sitcom. No, obviously. I would say it's more of a dramedy or a comedy drama. They call it now.
0: Okay, I'll stay away from that. So the dramedy, <laughs> the um. It, did anybody say, "Look, that's going to be too hard to sell"? Is it? Is not a big market for an Australia? Did you get? Did that sort of encourage you to push it forward at any stage?
2: We definitely. I mean, I think what we when we come to any of our projects, we want. I've never thought of anything I've ever done as being an Australian deck, if that makes sense. I've never done that with my short films. I'm, I've made a lot of documentaries for the ABC. I, and and some some of them have been to you know great film festivals. I never thought about it being you know the eight thirty slot on on television. We've always looked at our projects as towards an international audience, if that makes sense. Um, so we did the same with Aftertaste. We wanted it to look amazing. We wanted it to sound amazing. We you know we we it. I think it looks cinematic, although that word doesn't make any sense anymore. Um, whatever that means, it's widescreen, therefore equals cinematic. Um, So, yeah, I mean, look, I think it's all of that, the combination of all of that, of the beautiful production design and the the cinematography and great sound, and we spend a lot of time on music as well, you know, there's some great music in, in this series, licensed music and music by our composer, Ben Speed. So I think that all adds up to something hopefully sellable around the world. The the ABC are obviously
3: impressed with it. I mean, they've given you a, a key night for them, Wednesday, which is a great night for them. You're premiering in the first week of official ratings, so they love it. How is it working with the ABC? You know, we've still got so many newspapers in this country that take every excuse to bash the ABC at every point, but they never, ever talk about all the great kids' shows and all the great Australian drama and comedy that they make
2: like Aftertaste. I mean, don't get me started. Yeah, Eric, you can have your go now, but let me do my <laughs> fanboy thing. But I mean, I grew up with the ABC. I mean, I can't imagine life without. It. I know I'm going to sound like one of those adverts with Claudia Carbon and all those. But honestly, like, mm. imagine getting rid of the ABC. Imagine losing Bluey. Imagine not having mm. arts on the. T- I mean, I grew up making uh, ABC arts films. You know, because I could get away with more in the arts slot on the ABC. I could make. More experimental, weird. I made hybrid doco drama films, or you know, like these incredible. It was a real playground for me, kind of growing up as a maker, not just as a viewer. You know, as a maker, the, the, the amount of us that have come through and and been allowed to kind of play and and make interesting things on on the ABC, let alone grow up watching incredible programs from you know homegrown and and abroad you know all the english comedies we watched on the abc so yeah don't get me started on on the bashes i they can come talk to me also i think for, from the outset with this show we needed to we needed to find
1: a network which was well commercial free for a start because you know as we know commercials just cut through anything you're trying to make up it's getting harder and harder and the audiences are obviously drifting away so we were looking you know Obviously, the streaming services, but um, yeah, the ABC were definitely our first choice of network um, because we were we felt from the outset we were going to be allowed to to tell the story that we wanted to tell. You know, it's a bit sweary, this show. Its the content's a little bit kind of, you know, edgy. And so I just couldn't see it on any other network. Um, and someone mentioned the other night where we had a bit of a launch and I'm sure on the big screen down here in Adelaide and someone. Of, I can't remember who, but they're somebody who is in the industry and, and kind of knows what they're talking about. They just said the this, this show is is so Australian um, and not in the kind of Crocodile Dundee way. It's just, uh, it, it just, it kind of, it oozes Australia uh, culture. And, and, and I think, it, and, and the ABC is the natural home
3: for that. I think. it's the, it's the attitude what it is is that Australian attitude that the women those are Australian women who you know don't give a fuck you know and, and you're really swearing but it, you know it's it's in context
1: yeah definitely
0: uh, how how long was the shoot and did you have any sort of covid challenges or did it take a bit longer because of protocols or anything
1: well it was uh, yeah it 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 took uh the, the shoot was about five and a half weeks, I think, and then we ended up having a couple, a couple of pickup days after that. But uh, yeah, the COVID challenges were obvious. That in terms of we had all of our principal cast, well, most of our principal cast came from interstate, so we had actors in Adelaide, but we couldn't get hold of them if there was a schedule change. But well, we couldn't have a schedule change because the actors might have been here, but they couldn't come out. So people, there was wardrobe calls and directors meetings and stuff with uh, actors in our, in. In, um, in quarantine and uh, yeah if, if we just we just had to get on with it if there was a problem if the weather got bad we had to find a different place to shoot it or just get on with it so uh, we had one day that Natalie woke up with a, with a, a kind of scratchy th- throat and we had to go th- through COVID protocols and we lost that day and we had to pick it up and so we, we were concerned um, from a financial perspective um, but uh Got it was a relief when we finished it, you know, got it all in the can and then handed it over
2: to the the wonderful post-production people that we had involved. Yeah, of course, we, you know, because we kind of delayed a couple of months as well. So, we were meant to shoot when the weather was really beautiful and ended up shooting when <laughs> it was not so beautiful. We had some really hectic weather conditions actually. We were at that property of Jim's house, the, the father, Easton's father and you know, we're really buffeted by some serious weather. and But I think it, that actually added to the, to the show in the end as a kind of almost like a melancholic sort of version of the Adelaide Hills that you don't normally see on Australian screens. Usually we are seeing the sunburned country and this is a little bit more kind of grayer and, and you know, a slightly different kind of version of Australia, which I, I really love. I and haven't I think noticed the, the, bad
3: weather at all yet. I haven't noticed any bad weather at all. There's so much going <laughs> on. That is the last thing I've noticed. Oh, that's good.
1: But the the, the actors coming out of quarantine, there was a, there was an immediate because we we're all just like, what's going to happen to our industry? You know, are we going to be able to continue to make it? You know, all of us were experiencing that, and uh, there was a certain kind of immediacy with and a, a post quarantine kind of madness infused in all these actors that were coming out so prepared because they'd had two weeks to do nothing else but be prepared um, and walk onto these sets that were kind of muddy and rainy and and visceral and, uh, and I think, you know, there were definitely advantages of doing it uh, at the time we did it, as well as the obvious disadvantages.
0: Eric, uh, tell me how it's, how from an actor's point of view, do you think the sort of the work slowed down a little bit last year and could that happen again this year? And how did this go with your um, back-to-the-rafters commitments?
1: Uh, Well, it it worked out well in the end, but at the time, the year was planned absolutely perfectly. I couldn't. I was going back and doing a, a role that I'd done for a long time, very kind of conservative commercial role in Dave Rafter. Playing the and and one of the main reasons I felt that I could do that was because I knew I was playing East and West to kind of uh, counterpoint that Um, and it was going to be rafters, two weeks off, um, aftertaste, four months off and possibly going back and doing some more rafters at the end of the year. Of course, that all changed. So I had to make decisions about hair and continuity and stuff like that. But it all worked out in the end. Um, And I think in terms of the, you know, yeah, things did slow down, but it seems at the moment in Australia that everyone's super busy. You know, there's a lot of actors, a lot of people that weren't here before COVID are suddenly back here from America um, and uh, Australians and Americans um, making television in in Australia. And I I think it's a really busy busy, busy period. And I don't think that's going to end this year. I think there's just going to be a bit more of a, um, a struggle in terms of um, crewing. And then obviously the situations with borders and having little flash, you know, flash points like we've got in WA and, you know, there's, there's always that fear that you might hire an interstate actor and get halfway through the shoot and not be able to get them back. Or that actor might not sign on to something because they might have five days on a job in WA. And they think, well, what if, what if there's a snap decision? And I'll end up getting stuck in, in WA for six years or something that you just, you know, not that, you know, WA is a bad place, but you know, you know you know what I mean, I hastily add, oh. uh, but it's, um, again, I think, I think if anything, this whole, you know, this whole experience has just taught us to, you know, it's the, you know, life is a bit of a gamble and it's certainly, you know, a bit of a gamble at the moment. Uh, we just have to make sure that the people who are funding these these shows are prepared to take that gamble. Um, but I think the people who fund these shows are gamblers anyway because why else would you fund film and television?
3: Who do you think that he, the chef is going to be? compared to the most uh i mean i know we've got a lot of australian chefs we know through cooking shows like master and all that but to me he seems so cranky and furious all the time i think we have to compare him to some international chef don't we
2: on tv i think so i think he was our reference point that chap that we will not mention <laughs> um, he's he not might eric. eric could probably talk more to it but i think there's a couple of of the class i mean marco pierre white is probably one of our also benchmark sort of chefs as well he's kind of Michelin level kind of you know and he's got a kind of very uh what's the word he's he's quite a he's quite an in, complex character which i think i'm hoping eric uh or eastern comes across as what did you who were you channeling eric oh well i've I been mean, obviously the
1: the guy that we probably shouldn't name for legal reasons uh <laughs> gordon uh, but i think i've already mentioned it but uh, it's it's a pastiche of a lot of people but it's more than it's more uh, uh i think a, a a reference to the style of training that these brilliant brilliant artists had which was a hierarchical military style uh training where you know no one puts up with any shit, you know, it's, it's, it's like the military. You've got the top chef and you've got the bottom one, the potato peeler, the the dishwasher, whatever. Um, That's the environment that Easton comes from. Um, So he's a product of his his environment. And we never want to excuse or justify his behavior, but I think, I think you want to understand it. Uh, It's not to say that his behavior is condonable, but I think it's um, uh, however, however, these These men are, that's just what they've been taught and, and and they've been told it's all right because no one's ever tapped them on the shoulder and say actually you can't do that any you can't do that yeah. and now, and now they're tapped on the shoulder, and that 's the world that we 're existing in in this show
0: Eric, do you think this might change the way you 're received in restaurants in future?
1: <laughs> I might not be received in restaurants in future. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, we'll find out. Um, I might have a few chefs coming up to me, so you're giving us a bad name. Uh, no, I, I, the great thing about doing a comedy um, and doing this kind of character in a comedy is it kind of, it gives you the license to, I think, just we people know that we're, we're you know, we're, we're having a little bit of a lend of these type of people and these type of men. And, uh, yeah, um, we can hopefully just kind of crack open a, a culture a little bit more.
3: There's a moment in uh, episode one or two where uh, you go to a radio station and get interviewed by a couple of guys. Now, would that be Ben and Liam playing themselves, former Triple J guys now Nova Adelaide?
2: Yeah, that's right. That's exactly who they.
1: <laughs> and, and I didn't know Ben and Liam, and I said to Matt, "I said, who's going to play Ben and Liam?" And Matt's like, um, "Ben and Liam." <laughs> <laughs>
3: The other great music reference we should talk out, i know James is probably a fan of this too—but great to hear an Aussie great rock band, The Saints, doing the theme song for the show. I'm stranded.
2: Well, interestingly enough, um, the yeah, it's amazing. What about? I mean, I'm an old punk rocker. I think Eric's was grew up in that that era too, and. Um, one of the, an interesting fun fact is that Amy from a band called Amel and the Sniffers, who are kind of like to me one of the great Australian punk bands of this moment, they're probably the greatest punk band of of this moment, um, also appear in in the series. And Amy, in fact, uh, is the sort of vocal representation of Diana in our soundtrack. So all the kind of vocal samples. Um, come from Amy, who, and I don't know that as a fanboy of that band was such a great coup to get her as the <laughs> as the kind of voice that was. She she laid in a whole lot of vocal samples, which then our composer kind of orchestrated into into music. I
3: just um, wrote love
2: Amy and the Sniffers. I'm definitely
3: Amma, looking. Amel and the Sniffers. Amel and
2: the Sniffers. Even wow. But uh, <laughs> so, yeah, uh, Australian punk uh, lineage from from the origins to now.
0: Fantastic. Uh, Matt, you've mentioned before if it goes to season two, you'll need to do some international sales. What happens with that? Has ABC Commercial got it or someone else?
2: Yeah, well, so ABC Commercial have got it. It's actually just been accepted into uh, the Berlin Berlinale uh, TV series, which is a kind of curated television program and a market. So I think it's it's the only Australian TV show to, to go there this year. So that's that's been a really great leg up as far as we hope as far as sales hasn't happened yet, but um, that'll be our first port of call uh, on a sales front, and then yeah, ABC Commercial will then kind of take it to the to the market. We're also kind of hoping that given the the the,
1: the, the, the shelves might be a little bit more bare this year in terms of really good products to to for for networks around the world to buy, and I, and I think. We're, 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 I think this is a good show and hopefully uh, it'll be a little bit more visible out there And with things that perhaps, perhaps aren't as competitive as they usually would be.
3: Eric, you've also throughout your entire TV career concurrently have made a lot of movies as well and really interesting movies. And I know that you've been talking recently about coming home in the dark. Um, which you said is really out there. Are we talking out there like horror, scary stuff? Uh, yeah, it
1: just had its world premiere last night in, uh, at Sundance, uh, and uh, which was a massive, uh, a massive opportunity for the film. And, and uh, unfortunately, none of us could go there because it's a virtual Sundance this year. But yeah, uh, the response has been really strong. Uh, it's a little bit polarizing because it's a, it's not a, it's not a, a boo scary horror film. It's a psychological kind of thriller about a family you know, a family going on a picnic in a remote part of New Zealand to have a wonderful time, and then out of the bush walk these two men who have different intentions, and it's very sinister intentions. When those two things come together, you have the film, and most of it's set at night on windy roads, and there's a backstory to it. Um, but, yeah, it was very, very difficult shoot um, physically and emotionally, um, but to, you know, to get... Accepted into a prestigious festival like Sundance, kind of, um, you know, it's it's um, it's it's a reward enough. Anything less would have made it not worth it. I think.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Before we let you go, I'd be interested to hear from both of you about what's next and what's the sort of production scene like in Adelaide. I know there's a it's become a bit of a base for for companies doing special effects work and um, post production stuff. Is that is there a mushrooming production work? know they are either attached or developing separately
2: to that? There's a definitely a bit, quite a bit going on, yeah. I mean, we, as we were shooting, uh, uh, Lisa Scott's productions for Stan was, was shooting at the same time and went, and went out very quickly at uh, Sunburnt Christmas, which is great, which went out and was released, obviously, like, you know, oh. midway through December. I think we've got The Tourist coming up as well. Uh, is that right, Eric? I think it's The Tourist. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, The Tourist, yeah. Um, so we've actually become a bit of a haven here. I think it's always, you know, people love to shoot here. We, we offer obviously great incentives, but amazing locations. And also we're in the, in the era of COVID where we're relatively safe compared to everywhere else. So I think we've become more and more attractive, uh, certainly in this area, in this era, era, sorry. And what do you think's next for you, Matt? uh i've just literally handed up a my a new development document today to sbs for a four part series sort of coming off the back of the hunting which was our last show for sbs which did very well for them um we've been developing another show with them which is still very much early days it's in the sort of proposition uh proposal phase uh that's just literally been emailed to them an hour ago funnily enough <laughs> okay. so uh we'll see where that goes and um yeah, I'm developing a couple of, uh, a feature film. I sort of, uh, we want to go a bit more commercial. It's the, sh- the film that I've just written, which is about the, uh, the day that Live Aid was broadcast in 1986 oh, wow, yeah. when I was a lad and the kind of that day, which was kind of more I think about it. It was the first, one of the first times we really kind of came together as a, as a globe in a way, outside of maybe the Olympics and things like that, but where before the internet, where the whole world was sort of focused in at one time at this, on this one, kind of moment in you know and, and pop music, which is quite amazing when you think about it and you look back.
3: Hey, I sat up all night and watched Live Aid when it went yep. to look before we go, there's two cast members I want to mention. We haven't mentioned how great Susan Pry is in this because we don't see her doing a lot of comedy and she's really funny in this. And I also just want to give a shout out to it's so great to see Adelaide uh, actress now, Chantelle Contoury in episode four. Great to see her still working as well.
1: Yeah, beautiful Chantelle, I had a day with her on Storm Boy and her and Jeffrey Rush and um, Paul Blackwell uh, worked together and just to to spend a day with her. She's got so many amazing stories, so much, uh, so generous and of a different era. And, uh, and to have her come on set for a couple of days was just was fantastic, yeah. And what's next for you, Eric? Uh, well, you know, getting this on air—you know, getting this on air and promoted and out there. You know, two two more days until it's, we push the we push the ship off and, and let the world kind of look at it. Um, similarly, getting the film—you know—in New in, in the coming home in the dark launched and a lot of publicity and that kind of stuff. I mean, hopefully there'll be some more rafters later in the year, and hopefully we'll do some more of this and we'll go into. To development uh, on this soon, but I've got a couple of other, um, I've got another job that I can't say anything about that's starting that's next month, um, and uh, just a little little uh, cameo in a, in a in a film and um, a few other things floating around about. So uh, you know, I think the the main thing is in this business is not to spread yourself too thinly, and certainly for myself, balancing life and and work um, and also a big. You know, remake and for afters, and and this show, I think, you know, it's kind of enough. I don't want to, uh, I don't want to overdo it. I'm not, I'm not a young man anymore. <laughs> <laughs> None of
0: us are. <laughs> um, all right, looks great talking to you both. Congratulations on the series. Uh, I'll know I'll be in trouble in the house if I don't watch a couple more tonight. So, um, everyone I know who's um, sampled it has been uh, in love with it. So let's uh, fingers crossed it'll do very well.
2: Brilliant. Thank you you very much. That's amazing to hear.